To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Glasgow, Senior Freight Transportation Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Mike Para, CEO of DHL Express Americas, as our guest on the podcast. This business is part of DHL Group, a publicly traded company under the ticker DHL Space GY on the terminal with a market cap north of $58 billion. Mike joined DHL in 1997 as a service center manager in South Florida after 10 years with TNT Express. He's been CEO of DHL Express America since 2016 and will start a new role as CEO of DHL Express Europe starting on January 1st. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Lee, and to everyone who is listening. Thank you for having us and uh, look forward to our time together. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell a little bit uh, about what DHL Express Americas is and and kind of what your responsibilities are as the CEO? Yeah, sure. So the uh, Express division in the Americas uh, basically is everything between Canada and Argentina, or if you're from Chile, we would say Canada to Chile. Uh, And we're responsible for the Express Time Definite International portion of our business, which is basically um, anything that can be delivered globally to 220 countries and territories that we're in uh, between 24 to 72 hours. All right. And uh, how big is that business for uh, DHL? Yeah, so it's it's our second biggest region uh, in the world, Uh, basically consists uh, of a very sizable uh, revenue-based business, Uh, close to 29,000 employees uh, and over uh, seven to 800,000 shipments a day. Wow, 29,000 employees, that's a lot of people. What what, what are the majority of those people? Are they in sportation facilities? I mean, obviously they're not, they're all pilots. No, 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 no. You got a mixture of, you know, ground employees that are doing pickup and delivery, uh, back office employees that are working uh, within our facilities across the region, uh, folks that work in our hubs and our gateways uh, that basically manage the loading and offloading of our planes or trucks uh, that are coming through and the physical sortation of that product. Uh, and then you've got your front counter retail folks that are receiving customers walking in from off the street or existing customers from that perspective. And then you have all your back office functions, human resources, IT, finance, uh, you know, our, the men and women who are out there doing uh, the commercial portion of our business as well, and then security. Okay, great. And then, you know, when you're out there selling uh, your services, what makes uh, DHL Express unique or what's your competitive advantage versus uh, the other competitors that are out there? Yeah, that, good question. Um, you know, people ask us, well, what's our secret sauce um, is what I would call it. And one it would be is, 
our own internal learning and development program that we facilitate ourselves. So that is one. Uh, but then if you take a step back and take a look at from when the foundation of the company started in 1969, it has been our core competency, which is our focus, which is international. Uh, so it's time definite international. Uh, and we've been doing it successfully from 1969 to 200 territories across the world. Everything from, you know, the expedited pickup and delivery uh, to the efficiencies that we have around our customs clearance capability. And can you talk about the, the fleet that's involved in, in Express? Um, I don't know if you're able to break it out by the Americas versus other parts of the region. Uh, what kind of air fleet do you guys operate? Well, we've got, uh, you know, all type of sizes of our planes, whether it be, you know, 737, 757, 767, 747s, and triple sevens uh, is from an air perspective, that either being our own aircraft or those with our partners. Uh, and then we've got obviously all type of vehicles on the road from uh, electric vehicles that are on the road today uh, in the Americas, which by the way, we keep expanding uh, in the Americas. We have over almost 500 electric vehicles and we also have another 200 in order. So uh, again, a big commitment on the sustainability side uh, through electrification. But we have all type of vehicles, whether it be 26 footers, 52 footers, uh, small, medium sized vehicles uh, rolling around uh, across the Americas as well, with an emphasis, again, of moving towards 60% of our global fleet so by 2030, 60% of our global fleet around the world will be electrified uh, from an electric vehicle perspective. Okay, uh, great. And, you know, when looking at uh, demand, I mean, so we're, we're kind of in peak season. We just had uh, the Christmas holiday shopping post Thanksgiving uh, as we're recording this. So can you talk about, uh, you know, what you guys are seeing so far in peak and, and how it compares to previous seasons? Yeah, it's actually, it's been, uh, it's been surprising, surprisingly enough. But what we've seen already is we've seen an 11% increase in more volume that we saw last year uh, in both those days. Uh, and we're still seeing that hold up um, from a perspective in that, in that, in that scenario, um, we're seeing volumes that we will, we're seeing now volumes growing to be plus 14% higher than last year. Uh, and it could get to as high as plus 16% higher than last year. So we are seeing, is that, oh, go ahead. is that just for, sorry, is, is that just for the Americas or is that the, the global express? Business? We're seeing that in the Americas. Uh, from the global, gotcha, yeah, from the global perspective, we'll have to wait till those numbers roll up uh, from them. But from an America's perspective, that's what we've been able to gauge, and and it's holding. It's holding. When I'm saying it's holding, in the sense that uh, what I saw the numbers today are still in that double digit framework. So it's it's actually that's why I said it's a bit surprising, which is good. That's uh, that sounds fantastic. And is that strength? all across your region or is it just the United States or is it like other parts of your region that, that the strength is happening? Yeah, it's predominantly what I would call North America, Canada, the US and Mexico. That's where we're seeing it. Doesn't mean we're not seeing some growth into Central South America or the Caribbean uh, or Brazil, but it's not at the double digit level that we've seen into North America. 
from that perspective. And when you got a stronger dollar, uh, as we've seen, or a dollar that is holding, your buying power uh, is great. And we're seeing a, the, the biggest growth we're seeing still continues to be out of southern China and out of Hong Kong into the United States, Canada, or Mexico. Some of it could be fast fashion, by the way, uh, which is under big demand um, and specific specific customers to remain nameless. But we're also seeing, uh, you know, aftermarket parts that are coming in from an automotive perspective. And you're starting to see a bit of a ramp up uh, on the retail side from the small to medium sized customers of individuals that are getting out in front of, uh, you know, Christmas shopping. Uh, so they leverage the opportunities and discounts that were put in place uh, for Cyber Friday, I'm sorry, for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, the other phenomenon that we saw was a lot of the customers were putting their sales out even earlier. They weren't waiting for Black Friday or Cyber Monday. They started the sales earlier this year, mm-hmm. um, which in turn triggered earlier type of volumes landing uh, in our markets and out for delivery as well. Interesting. Uh, you'll be happy to know I just got a, uh, a notification a couple of days ago from DHL that uh, a suit I ordered from uh, probably China is it's on its way. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're, you're happy to know uh, that uh, I'm a customer. Thank you. Of, I, we, uh, we, DHL. we appreciate that. <laughs> Hopefully the suit fits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 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 that's interesting. So you know, is there a difference between? Um, product offerings in that growth? Like, is there an, is economy growing faster, I guess, than a premium service that you have? And if you can talk about the different kinds of services that you offer in the express network? Sure. We're, we're more a premium company. Uh, we don't offer an, we don't offer a deferred economy service um, in the Americas uh, from a DHL perspective. Uh, so what we have seen is that a, a lot of the customers obviously that are ordering and are selecting DHL are they're looking for their product because they want it now, and they're getting they're getting that transit time uh, that they expected. So uh, people are ordering the goods, uh, and especially when you look at fast fashion, people have been ordering fast fashion uh, for years now, and they want it now. And most of the providers uh, that they're selecting are incorporating the delivery costs uh, into the overall pricing structure. Some of it, I'm assuming. Uh, they're absorbing either through the rate that they're charging or they may be, who knows, maybe they're taking a loss from that perspective. But uh, if you're using DHL, you know the service level you're going to get. And historically, people have always been quite happy with how fast we get goods to their homes or their businesses. Right. And for for growth in the Americas, uh, I'm assuming it's mostly organic where is that growth coming from? Are there certain verticals that you are uh, focused on? Uh, well, I mean, look, fashion is definitely. So, where is it coming from? It's coming from. It's coming from southern China. It's coming from Hong Kong. Uh, we're seeing growth uh, out of Taiwan. We're seeing growth out of Vietnam. We're seeing growth out of India, and that's where it's coming into North America. We're also seeing, you know, omnishoring or what we would call reshoring or nearshoring um, away from China, but it's there is it's very clear uh, that China remains a clear player. And then the goods that we're seeing are 
fashion that's coming in, aftermarket uh, auto parts uh, that are on heavy demand, especially where you still have interest rates or buying a new car at the moment may be a bit more expensive as a result of the interest rates that are out there. So people are holding on to the cars, getting them serviced appropriately, as I'm doing right now myself. My brother actually is helping me out. He went to my home to pick up my uh, my Jeep, and he was taking it over uh, to get it fixed uh, for me instead of me going and then saying, hey, well, I'm going to go get a new car. Uh, I'm getting my own existing car uh, repaired. So we're seeing those aftermarket parts uh, come in. And then obviously tech, uh, tech in the space of whether it be new uh, iPhones that are coming in uh, or uh, you know, new new equipment going into the holidays from that perspective. Gaming is big as well, Lee. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of gaming components that are coming in, especially uh, as we're coming into the holiday season. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned nearshoring. Um, you know, it's an interesting secular trend that looks like it has some legs. Obviously, yep. it's going to be real slow, um, slow to progress and evolve. Is nearshoring a net positive or a net negative for Express? Oh, and, and I'm not just talking maybe Americas, but like maybe the global networks, because I'm assuming, you know, there's, you know, lower lower lengths of haul that that, that need to be uh, delivered. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's actually a positive. And we've been seeing it unfold in my region, as an example, uh, in Mexico and, and more specifically northern Mexico. So places like Ciudad Juarez, uh, El Bajillo, um, Guadalajara, Monterrey, that part of northern Mexico, we've seen nearshoring evolving at a rapid pace. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for the Mexican economy uh, from a, an import perspective, uh, creating jobs, but also exporting back out from Mexico to the U.S. Uh, or to Canada. Um, and that's one of the things that you know we should talk about, which is a bit of friendshoring. A lot of countries uh, that have like-minded, uh, you know, you know, policies uh, from a trade perspective. That that is the label friendshoring, and that's where you got you know the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, which is the USMCA deal. They're leveraging that trade deal, uh, and that's why nearshoring to Mexico makes all the sense in the world. And it's really uh, becoming more on the tech side uh, and consumer electronics uh, from that perspective. So we are seeing that develop and we're excited. Um, and we've been obviously adding more employment uh, in northern Mexico and we're seeing our business uh, grow there at a pretty rapid at a pretty rapid pace. In addition to adding heads, uh, you know, what kind of investments are you making in the network to handle the growth, whether it's for nearshoring uh, or other aspects of, of your business that you see growth uh, coming in the next couple of years? Well, we made, we're in the process now of a, you know, a second expansion of our Queretero hub in the, in the Bajio region, uh, which is a big gateway and uh, a big domestic air hub for us as well. Uh, and it just complements the growth that's happening both in Guadalajara and Monterrey, which we're investing in as well in those markets. So uh, it's infrastructure investment, which also helps the local economy. It's adding additional jobs 
Uh, it's having more vehicles in place. Uh, and then it's increasing the size of the air network that we have in Mexico. So those are all the things that are currently taking place. You know, one of the comments I hear a lot uh, when companies are looking to do business uh, outside the United States, especially, you know, uh, Mexico uh, or, or Central South America, are security concerns. Uh, how do you do you how differently do you operate in those regions versus Canada and the U.S. from from a security standpoint to ensure not, not only the packages are safe, but obviously your employees are as well? So, you know. The safety and security and the well-being of our employees is a priority one, and it has always been. It's been that way since we opened the doors in 1969. Um, security, uh, whether it be Mexico or anywhere within my region, you know, if you take a look at what's going on in Haiti, uh, security is key. And what we do is, uh, and it's country by country. So Haiti is a bit different uh, at the moment because you've got areas within Haiti that we operate. Uh, where we can't operate. We used to operate there two years ago, and today we don't operate. So we inform the customers that we will have their shipment, but they need to come to one of our local service centers uh, to pick it up. And most customers completely understand that and get that. And for their own safety and well-being, they appreciate it. In Mexico, security has always been an area of focus for us. Uh, we basically have visibility and can track every single vehicle that we have. Uh, we have uh, cameras inside of our vehicles uh, so that we can get a hold and see of our employees. We can speak to our employees from a central command center, from a security perspective, live. Uh, we're able to uh, turn off a vehicle uh, if for some reason a vehicle is captured by someone that is not one of our employees. Uh, we're able to work with uh, the local authorities from that perspective. And we always tell our employees the following. If they don't feel safe or they don't feel that they're going into an area that is safe, then we ask them not to go into that area and bring that shipment back. And we will communicate with the customer and work with them on that. We're required in some countries or as an example in Mexico, we might send uh, a second uh, individual in the vehicle with our courier for protection purposes. Uh, and then if need be, we would even have a chase vehicle that is following the vehicle into an area. So as an example, right now in Israel, we are making deliveries. Uh, and we got, we got planes flying in uh, every single day into Israel. Uh, and our employees are going out uh, within a certain criteria in a certain area. And they are wearing a bulletproof vest, uh, as an wow. example. The employee feels safer, but also the employee knows that they don't have to go into an area, let's say in Israel or somewhere else, where they don't feel safe. And we've been very successful uh, in doing that up to now. Gotcha. Uh, obviously, I hope uh, all your employees get to go home each night to their families uh, after 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 a shift. Um. You know, just switching switching gears, I guess a little bit. Can, can we talk about global air freight capacity? Um, sure. Just generally speaking, uh, you know, right now it seems like the, the a lot of the capacity that went away during the pandemic has come back, and we're pretty near, uh, if not a little over, uh, where we were. Where do you see capacity, and where do you see where do you think it needs to go, whether higher or lower, for that matter? Yeah, right now, the, so capacity for us right now, yeah, uh, we are. Um, 
we've got more more shipments and more volume uh, than the current capacity that we have. Uh, and our capacity is back to 2019, 2020 levels. Uh, and the demand is greater than our capability to move it at the moment. Uh, and it's probably going to be that way for the next couple of weeks, um, which is a good problem to have. Uh, where are we seeing that? It's basically the, the demand is heavily right now out of southern China and Hong Kong. Uh, and it's predominantly going to Europe and to the United States. Uh, so we're working with the teams diligently uh, to leverage where possible, allocating more capacity. So we have a, one of the great things about having a fixed air network and having your own network it, or having and also having additional you know, third party suppliers that we've been working with for many, many years is our ability to move equipment around. Uh, into markets where they're needed. So the team continues to flex and move uh, capacity around, uh, which allows us to continue to move the product flows that we have and meet the customer demand. Gotcha. Uh, you know, we, we uh, on the Bloomberg terminal, customer our customers can look at the air freight rates. Uh, one of them that we look at is the uh, east-west uh, air freight rate out of Drury, which increased about 8% sequentially in November. It's down uh, about 2% from the year prior. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting how well the air freight rates have held up. Uh, can you talk about the air freight market? You know, where, where do you kind of see it going from here? Well, I mean, first of all, the, the air freight market itself uh, saw its peak season uh, about two months ago. Uh, because in air freight, when we're talking about cargo, air cargo, air freight, air cargo, and ocean, the lead up time, the spool up time for someone to get material that they would have needed in December or November to be in the stores for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that was ordered, you know, about two months ago. Uh, so they are what, what we would call out of their peak season. Where we come into play is for companies that are saying, hey, my shelves are dry and I need product now. And they use a company like ours that has that fixed air network and has daily flights that are coming out. And they can say, I need 100 boxes coming out of southern China to the United States uh, so I can get it onto my shelves uh, prior to Christmas and prior to uh, the holiday season. So that's where we're seeing that. From an air cargo, air freight industry perspective, uh, it has got, it got more competitive uh, and prices dropped out of southern China and Hong Kong. We saw some of the lowest rate. We saw rates that were even more aggressive than pre-COVID era of 2019. And then in a very short period of time, less than 15 days, we saw it get right back up uh, to where it, uh, where it is today. So the market is flex, it flexes down and flexes up rather quickly. And it, we've seen it be very fluid in nature uh, from that perspective. Also, you know, we'll see that change right after Chinese New Year. So you'll see a continuum that'll go through, uh, you know, all of January and early February. And then you'll see uh, a secondary drop again as you come out of Chinese New Year from that perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, 
And, and do you do you expect rates to you know when we when we get out of the peak to kind of normalize to pre-pandemic levels, or do you think we're entering a new normal because maybe there's not enough capacity out there? Which I can't believe it just came out of my mouth. I just said that. <laughs> I think I think you're going to see. I, I don't. I mean, people can push to get back down to pre-pandemic levels, and I think that they're going to find themselves uh, where if, if they're doing that, it's because they're hurting from a standpoint of volume, and they've got an aircraft that is flying in the air, and they got to cover whatever type of expense they got on from a, a lease or fuel or insurance, et cetera. Uh, we will not chase to the bottom um, from that perspective because we, you know, we monitor our margins, and we want to make sure that we're covering our expenses appropriately and that we're providing the highest level of service uh, at the same time, which is important from that perspective. But I think what you will find after Chinese New Year, you'll be somewhere between 2019 and where we are today, uh, is what I would safely say from that perspective. Okay. And then, you know, to, to ensure that you guys are generating a certain return on investment, what levers do you guys have on the pricing side uh do you uh do you have do you do surcharges general rate increases what do you do to ensure that you're getting that roi especially in this high inflationary environment yeah sure um yeah we all i mean all the all of us pretty much do the same things right but i mean what the question is how disciplined are you uh in not trying to put yourself in a negative uh gross margin or negative gross profit perspective so all of us I- implement a general rate increase. Uh, the general rate increase is basically used uh, as a tool to cover uh, inflation, you know, things that you're doing for your staff, like merit increases, uh, investments that you're putting into the network to, you know, not only continue to sustain your levels of service, uh, but provide better, uh, you know, services overall. So if you take a look at that, everybody pretty much is on par when it comes to general rate increases and it tends to follow that. Then you start to take a look at, well, you know, what are you doing around efficiencies of scale, using innovation, using digitalization? What are you doing in that space? And then what are you doing from an efficiency standpoint on road so that then you can provide the smallest amount of increase to your customer base uh, and keep them within your business. So we've been disciplined as an organization around our pricing principles uh, and what we do. Um, and we're definitely not going to be chasing the competition uh, to the bottom. You know, we will not chase the race to the bottom on pricing uh, because then what ultimately happens is that it affects your service levels uh, to your customers uh, and you provide something that is not long-term or sustainable. From that perspective, do, do you do you have to pay your employees more in in higher security, uh, higher risk security areas? Like you're mentioning Israel, people wearing bulletproof vests. Uh, I mean, do they get combat pay? I, I know that might sound like a silly question. There is uh, high risk areas, and you do you do factor that into uh, the overall uh, remuneration that we pay our employees. Gotcha. So just switching gears a little bit, um, you know, you're a longtime supply chain person, been in, been uh, doing it for a long time. Uh, is there a, a book about supply chain that you read either recently or when you were, you know, a young man starting starting uh, out your career? 
um, that you really like? Yeah, well, look, I, I think for me in the space of supply chain, uh, you know, 4DX, uh, so anything related to the four disciplines of execution, I, I think would be a book that I would highly encourage anybody uh, to read within the business. And then I spent a lot more time in the space of leadership, constantly going back to your first 90 days. Uh, one of my favorite books is Who Moved, you know, Who Moved My Cheese?, um, great books to look at from a, uh, from a leadership standpoint, allowing us always to keep fresh uh, from, from that perspective. Uh, and then, you know, The War for Kindness uh, would be uh, the last book that I would say. And it's something that I've actually got right here. And it's, uh, you know, Building Empathy in a Fractured World uh, by Jamil Zaki. Um, is another one that I would recommend. And that's, you know, how to treat people with respect. You know, we're a results-driven company, but we say without compromising respect-focused behaviors. Right. Okay. Those uh, sound like uh, all good good reads. So, you know, kind of uh, we're going to wrap it up here pretty soon. I just, you know, wanted to know, you know, you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of employees, uh, reporting up uh, into the organization. You know, what, what keeps you up at night uh, being a leader at DHL Express Americas? Uh, you know, for me is uh, the safety and well-being of our employees. Um, so, you know, we, there's been over the last, I, I would say, you know, two years, um, when I think back to what I, we, we ever have seen a, uh, a war between Russia and Ukraine and a war that has lingered for two years, um, would have never, I would have never thought that was going to happen. Would you ever have seen, you know, what's taken place in Israel as of late where, you know, young men and women are sitting at a, at a, at a music festival and they came under attack from that perspective. Uh, so that, that, that keeps me up, uh, at night. Uh, a bit of the political uncertainty in certain countries and a lot of the political ch- you know, shifts and changes that are taking place uh, keeps me up uh, at night from that perspective. So uh, just not knowing uh, what's going to happen next uh, and how volatile and how quickly things could change uh, for the, well, the, li- the, you know, the lives and well-beings uh, of our employees, uh, as well as the countries that we operate in. We operate in every country. So, you know, we're used to, we're used to uncertainty, uh, but right. these are at a next level. Um, and we continue to operate. So we continue to operate in the Ukraine, uh, you know, on the, the most, on the, you know, on close to the border of Poland. Uh, and we're sending across humanitarian aid. We're sending across... Uh, you know, important documents that are going from embassies uh, either into the Ukraine. Um, we continue to operate there. We, we haven't stopped operating in Israel. Uh, and again, you know, uh, we stand with the people of Israel from that perspective, but we haven't stopped operating. And people are really thankful for the fact that a company like DHL is still continuing to bring goods into Israel that are needed. Uh, on a day-to-day basis from that perspective. So those are the things that keep me up. The growth that's happening today, you know, the things that I love about this job is, you know, creating jobs. I, I say trade equals jobs. 
So any chance that we can create new employment, any chance that we can see people within our organization grow and develop, uh, it's going to help to make the world a better place. And, you know, we say at DHL that, um, you know, we are responsible for making the world a better place through our efforts around sustainability. And our, our mission is connecting people, improving lives. Uh, so that's uh, that's the great thing and what keeps me coming every single day to this office. All right, great. I think we're going to end it on that positive note. Um, I want to really thank you for your time, Mike, uh, today. And, and I really enjoyed uh, learning more, not only about you, but uh, DHL Express Americas. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate your time and the interest in uh, speaking not only to me, but hearing a bit about DHL. All right, great. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a number of great guests for the podcast. So check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives, shippers, regulators, and decision makers within the freight transportation markets. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Thanks, everybody. Take care and be safe. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.